Hello everyone and welcome to the first of our series of special episodes of the Kinetic Podcast, The Brunton Bugle. In these episodes we'll be taking a step away from the current comings and goings at Brunton Park and taking a nostalgic walk down memory lane. The aim is to cover a wide range of topics from the best loan signings to the worst away days or look at the all-time great players, matches and seasons along with some of the more left field topics. Now for this first episode I would say we were very much going for the left field. As it's episode one of the specials we're going to look at one game wonders. This is, of course, the players who've played just one competitive first-team fixture for the Blues. Me and regular co-host Dan McLennan sat down for a chat recently to discuss this topic. We hope you'll enjoy some of the stories we've discussed. Please remember as well to like and subscribe the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks very much, and if you want more information, go to bruntonbugle.com. Here's me and Dan's discussion. Ball récupéré par Madar. Tout va vite, très vite. Djorkaev face à Perez et le ballon qui roule sur le poteau pivot de Djorkaev et c'est Crossy qui rentre ce ballon au fond des filets. Alors, pouvait-il le dégager ou est-il pris dans son élan Bien difficile de le dire, mais voilà qu'il est... Clever ball, hope for Wallace, digs out the delivery. The chance for O'Halloran He gets his goal Fantastic. Michael O'Halloran in need of a goal, gets it with one minute played of the second period. Okay, Dan. First special episode today, and we're going to talk about one game wonders. It's something we've uh, quite fancy talking about for a bit, isn't it? Really, it's an interesting topic. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, you you did a bit of uh, research to begin and produced a list of approximately, I would say, forty or fifty players. A little bit more. That's eighty, actually. Is it? I didn't yeah. know there was that many on it. <laughs> and we sort of uh, we've cherry picked some of our favourites. We'll we'll call it, shall we? Yeah, we're going to sort of. Me and you are going to have a little discussion about the one more, the more recent ones. Really, we split them into a few different categories. We'll we'll get onto them later. But first of all, I'm going to give a bit of background on the stats and actually some of the very early stories that are as well known, maybe from the one game wonders. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a couple you've been telling me in our chats before recording. There's uh, some quite interesting stuff out there once you start having a delve into the the catacombs of Calhoun United history. Yeah, it's one of these things, isn't it? As a club, our history is. It's quite rich, but a lot of it's not that well known, I don't think. I mean, there's very reasons for that. Obviously, the fact that there was a fire at Brunton Park and all the records were lost. So the early years in the Northern League and stuff like that in the in the Lancashire combination just aren't as well known to fans, really. Yeah, I would say it's sort of sort of 60s onwards that is well documented. Uh, as you say, that, that fire in the early 50s, a lot of stuff obviously got lost in that. And, and then again, with... Um, the two floods in sort of the last few years, you know, quite a few bits and bobs were unfortunately lost in those as well. Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a lot of catching up to do, but hopefully in the next few years we'll start to build up a bit more of an archive. And hopefully on the podcast especially we can help and tell a few of those stories. We've got a really interesting story about um, 
one of the earliest players to play for Cal United and his life story as well to, to tell in a hopefully in a few episodes time I need to do a bit more research on that one <laughs> yeah it's definitely a, one. definitely a good one definitely a good one that very one. good one, that one okay so uh one game wonders so um I'd say Dan as, as we as fans the idea of putting on a Cal United shirt on to play a game for the club just once is a dream isn't it that's that's something we we would love to do and these players we're going to talk today they got to live that dream although you probably find in many of these cases it's not so much a dream as a bit of a nightmare yeah in fact some of them were looking to see out the 90 minutes i think probably most of them was <laughs> were either subs or got subbed so well yeah I'll, I'll have the stats for you in a minute on that in terms of how many were subs and how many were not um so i've put a list together of all the players as we mentioned before since 1928 you've had a good look through that you've picked some a few interesting names out that you want to talk about particularly yeah yeah yeah. some some interesting memories with some of these players yeah well we don't want to give away too much too early so firstly let me get to the scope and definition what we're calling one game wonders i'll clear that up so we are looking at players that have featured in just one first team league or cup fixture since 1928 as you mentioned before, it's just impossible to trace before then because there's no clear records. And even if you look at the newspapers, they don't always report every single game that happens. So it's difficult to follow. Um, okay, so that, that that's the scope in terms of time. So this will include leagues. So obviously, I am including the conference season in this. I know that some people will think that's a bit controversial, but there you go. It's in there. FA Cup, League Cup, EFL Trophy in its various formats. Conference Cup and the lesser known Division Three North League Cup. That was a pre World War Two competition. I wonder if anyone's still about who attended one of those games. That's mad, that, isn't it? I didn't even know the competition existed until I was having a look through uh, Paul Harrison's book uh, to uh, do a bit of digging for it. Um, on yeah, the, a bit yeah. more on that in a minute. Um, so, one amazing fact did actually emerge when I was looking through this is that actually I, I said League Cup there. We haven't had a single one game wonder in a League Cup game. In, I, I would say that's probably because we normally play in the early rounds at the start of the season when, that, yeah. when everyone's fresh and you've sort of you've built your squad, you're ready to go, and you normally play your strongest team, don't you, in those first couple of rounds? That's very true. It's very true. But although you do mention that, there is a point that there is one player who did appear on an opening game of the season. We'll, we'll get onto him later because he's got an interesting contrast with another player played in that game. Um, okay, so the research has been done via a few sources. Firstly, for the most recent plays, I've used a mixture of soccer base and transfer marks. Um, both excellent sources for this kind of thing. If you don't use them at all, you don't look at them yourselves, I'd, I'd recommend them highly. Me and Dan pretty much live on those websites at times, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. They're, they're fantastic for finding out as much as you can. Then They're generally pretty reliable as well. There's only one or two little things in there that aren't quite right. But, yeah, yeah. So- soccer base never used to be that good, but in the last few years, they've uh, they've really upped the game and uh, they're, they're pretty, pretty on the ball these days. Okay, and the second major source is Paul Harrison's Cali United, the Complete Record Book. Now, anyone who owns a copy of that book will know that it's a pretty good resource for money about the club's past. But yeah. it can be unreliable at times. So. Yeah, I think some of the earlier stuff, I don't think, you know, some of the attendances, some of the appearances even aren't 100%. And, well, Paul Harrison himself deserves a podcast on his own for some of his uh, I think I think we'd have to uh, get some lawyers involved before we even thought about talking about that one yeah yeah um, 
but yes, but it, but it generally is a good resource. The, 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 if you compare it with other sources, you'll generally find the right answer in the end, and yeah, it's yeah. useful if you can contrast it with other things. So uh, yeah, so a bit of cross referencing, and also using a Neil Brown's excellent player records website. If you haven't seen that before as well, that's a not entirely full record. No, but it's um, good. Uh, there is a little bit on the home page apparently sadly neil brown passed away a few oh, years back yeah. and uh, i think it's his wife wrote on that it won't be updated again but she's going to keep it there as sort of a, a memento to his uh passion well that, that's quite sad to know i didn't know that's a promise yeah, but yeah. It, it's a really useful site because it doesn't give you the full stats and statistics but what it's good for is telling you where players signed from and where they went to yeah, after they yeah, left clubs. I found a few interesting bits out from there. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at some of the overall stats that have emerged from my uh, research. So the total number of one-game wonders is 83. 60 of eight, eight of those have come post-war, and 30 of them in the 21st century. So it's quite interesting now. There's quite a few that have come since the year 2000, actually. It's, you wouldn't have thought maybe that many, but that's the way it is, I guess. Um... Now, the number one game, what is he scored a goal, is just free. Um, and all of those are just a single goal each, and all of them are very much in the olden days, to put it bluntly. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Long I, time ago. I, I would say that there is quite a few recent ones we're going to talk about. Football contracts are getting shorter and shorter, aren't they? You know, it's. Yeah. And I know we, we always joke about the one, the one season offers of the last couple of years, but. In, in in the past, a player would maybe play for two, three, four clubs in his career, spend three, four, five years at each one. Now, players are playing for a dozen clubs, and you know, if, when, once you account for loan spells early in the career, you can get lads who are in their early thirties have been at fifteen, twenty clubs. I'm, I'm sure there is a player at Chelsea, isn't there? Who's been at, I think nine clubs but never played for Chelsea. Oh, there's about half. There's, there's about half a dozen at Chelsea who've done that. Well, funny enough, we'll be talking about one of those later, won't we? <laughs> um, so the top three managers in terms of picking one-game wonders. In joint third place is uh, Dan's favourite, Keith Curl, uh, Roddy Collins and Ivor Brodis. They they all picked five players each who played just one game for us. In second place is George Bristow, who's one of our um, pre-World War II managers. And in a clear first place, with ten picked in his uh, period as manager, is Greg Abbott. Um, only three of Greg's one-game wonders were permanent signings, though, actually, which were Chris Howarth, Marco Gabarsin, and Josh Todd, which is quite an interesting one, I think, actually. Yeah, and, well, Josh Todd sort of carved a, a career out for himself yeah. in uh, the Scottish leagues, hasn't he? Hmm. The other two, um, not, God only knows where they both are. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the season with the most one-game wonders um, was four seasons where we had four in one season. They were... 28-29, which is obviously when George Bristow was manager. 0-1-0-2, which is uh, when uh, Roddy was in charge. And the 10-11 and 12-13 seasons, which is when Greg Abbott was in charge. Um, so how many of those were sub-appearances? 23 out of the 83 were sub-appearances. Um, though it should be noted that substitutes were only introduced in 1965. Good point, good point. So it, it's a difficult stat to sort of balance out, really. Yeah. Uh, how many of them were loan signings? 15 out of the 83. The first one came in the 78-79 season. 
And how many were in league fixtures? Well, 71 out of the 83 that came in league matches. Uh, anything particularly that surprises you in there, Dan? Uh, probably, I didn't realise Greg Abbott had used as many. I, I did sort of, when I flicked through the notes you sent me, I noticed his name, but I didn't realise it was just that many. Because Greg was one of those who used, he was quite settled with his teams, wasn't he? Yeah, he didn't like so, to make big changes in teams. No, no. He tried to stick with the 11 as much as he could, really. Um, sometimes to his detriment, some fans thought. Um, but he also was quite good at using the, the old loan market where you could still use players for just one month at a time as well. Yes, yes. So, and he, well, he, he, had, uh, he had some good connections. I know we got several from... Uh, he was friends with Warren Joyce, who was Man United reserve manager at the time. And... Yeah, he's got he's got a very good contact book, Greg Abbott, which something which a lot of folk didn't really take heed of when he was at Carlisle. Yeah, it, it, it was it was noticeable how good a loaning signings he could get, and in the years since, we've probably not really had the same sort of level of player that to that standard. Um, right, so that's all the stats out of the way for now. Um, so let's delve into a few of the names and stories that stand out. So firstly, I'm going to cover the pre-war period. The first one-game wonders actually came in a pair in one game. They were William Brown and William Riley, uh, both featured in the first season. The um, two Willies. Yeah, interesting. Now, the other interesting stories from that period, um, I think uh, William Cowell, although I believe it's Billy Cowell he was generally known as, and Stephen Keane. Now, we'll cover Cowell first. Now, Cowell made only one and only appearance uh, alongside another one-gamer, actually. William Coxley, possibly Billy Coxley again. I think everyone who was called William back then was called Billy, but it's the way it was. Um, clearly a popular name. That's four Williams in the first few seasons. Um, now, Cowell was a goalkeeper. Uh, and I'm sure, obviously, if you know, making your debut for your club, you really want to get off to a really good start, don't you, Dan? You definitely, make sure definitely. A solid game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't happen for William Carley, to put it bluntly. Um, <laughs> William Cowell, sorry. Uh, he let in eight goals. In an 8-0 loss away to Wigan Borough. And Wigan Borough are a different club to Wigan Athletic. For those who don't know, they were in the league in the very early days and then dropped down when bust. I think Wigan Athletic were formed after that and they worked their way back into the league. Um, but yeah, that must be pretty crushing that you'd think uh, losing <laughs> debut. debut. Yeah, some debut conceding eight. <laughs> the, the, the defenders in front of him must have been like, what have we got behind yeah. us, you know? Well, it's funny, I thought at first, I thought possibly... Um, he was a player maybe from a local league or something who played one game and then just to fill in for a keeper within just something I never played again but doing a bit of research I think he might have played for Millwall actually a few years before possibly maybe Brentford I'll have a look in a minute and just double check on that but the one thing that's worth noticing now that two United's biggest stars of that period were McConnell and Hutchinson and they both missed that game against Wigan for some reason, which may explain why they got absolutely battered. <laughs> yeah, um, McConnell was obviously probably the first proper hero at Carlisle United in, in our when we joined the leagues. And back then, players didn't really miss games injured, so there must have been some sort of reason why the two best players weren't playing and we had a debut in goals. Definitely. Uh, right, actually, I've got the book out here. So, no, he signed from Millwall, it seems, and then disappeared into non-league football, <laughs> William Cole. So, not really a surprise if that's your, your first and only uh, 
game for the club, really, is it? Yeah, but, uh, it'd be interesting to see what he actually did for Millwall, how many games, etc. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. Um, okay, so that's uh, Kalkov. Now, Keane is special, uh, Stephen Keane, that is, as he's one of the three one-game, one-goal players in the club's history. Keane scored the winner in a 1-0 away win to Rotherham in Division 3 North in front of 3,258 fans. From the research I've done, that was his only appearance he ever made in professional football. Incredible, that's isn't it? Really? Very, very random. You would think if you uh, you scored on your debut, you would uh, you'd certainly get a go in the next game. You know. Yeah, it's a strange one. You think you know, I don't, I'm not sure what it was like back then in terms of contracts and things like that. Maybe it was different, but it's a it's a really interesting one actually. Um, let me have another quick look here. We're looking. I'm looking through actually not Paul Harrison's second book he did, but it's the Lads in Blue, the original one. Because the one difference between the two books is the original one actually tells you who we signed them from and where they went to as well. Yeah, that's right, that's so, right. Uh, I discovered I haven't bought it off eBay quite recently. Um, let's look. He signed from Everton, funny enough, and then went to Tranmere. So, interesting. You, that, you would guess that he, I assume he didn't settle, uh, decided it wasn't for him, didn't want to travel. Could be any mm. number of reasons. You think obviously the M6 didn't expect that neither did it, so it would be yeah, a check up. Trains would have been a lot slower as well, so... Yeah, it's a interesting one. So, there are two other players who appeared who uh, scored one, scored in their one appearance for the club. Um, firstly, you've got George Gray, who scored in a 2-1 home win over New Brighton FC. Now, there's a, a name from the annals of past. In the 46-47 season, in front of over 11,000 fans, with his player manager, Ivor Brodis, scoring the other goal. He signed from Vale of Clyde, who were a junior league side based in near Tolcross Park in uh, Glasgow, I believe. And he left yep. to join Sligo Rovers in Ireland, where he apparently he did quite well, actually. He was the, their top scorer in a few seasons. So, yeah. I wonder if he was maybe passing through on his journey to Ireland and decided to play a game for us. <laughs> you fancy a game, mate? Before you get the ferry over from Liverpool, come to yeah. New Brighton with us. Yeah, well, it's interesting that, yeah. So, uh, he was a. Uh, New Brighton's an interesting club, isn't it? As well as they obviously don't exist anymore, but uh, yeah, not they don't. Yeah. Not, not even as a non-league club is a interesting one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not it's not often that happens, you know. I mean, it's it, well not nowadays. It certainly the older clubs like uh, the aforementioned Wigan Borough, New Brighton, but the, these days they tend tend to sort of relaunch teams, don't they? Yeah, you've got to feel like you gloss up North and North End, sorry, and. Uh, What's the one? Is it Darwin? I think as well. Maybe there's some. Yeah, there's a few clubs lower down the league that were in the league in the early days. They're now in the lowest rungs of non-league. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, New Brighton, their ground now. I think it's just a housing estate on the banks of the Merley. So interesting. Shame, no shame. Yep. Um, and finally, the last player to score once and played once was David Bell, who was on the score sheet in a free-free draw with Crystal Palace at Brunton Park. David was a youth product, but Nave never played a game after that. Disappearing to obscurity. I wonder if he was maybe one of those who two or three injuries and maybe illness and they said, you know, we'll have to use someone and he was a lucky one and he, he happened to score. Again, I'll have a look in uh, the book and I'll just double check. So David Bell, he just says local and local. So he must have just signed on non-contract terms at that point. And so. Back then, we used to have sort of reserve teams who played in local leagues, you know, Chances are he's maybe came on trial, played a game, and disappeared again. Seems seems the uh, the obvious answer to that one. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, so uh, that's the very early years boxed off. Um, we thought that was worth giving its own little section. All the other plays in that period, there's not massive amounts of information on them. Um, and again, like you said, Dan, it's just plays who sort of just come and go, really. They don't yeah, yeah. hang around for very long. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll get to the, sort of the more modern eras now. I think the only other play really was interesting then was uh, Ron Oosthuizen, I think. I, you, you want to have a yes. go pronounce it that um, <laughs> I've been worked with a lot of lads from South Africa. It will be Oosthuizen. Oosthuizen. There yes. you go. So he's the only other really interesting one, a South African lad who played one game. Round about, I think, the same time as Alf Ackerman, actually. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's him, and I think the only one I'd probably pick from the really early periods would be, uh, I think it's Mickey Horswell, wasn't it? I think who, um, I think he played for in Sunderland in the FA Cup final in the uh, mid seventies. Yes. He played one game for us in the mid eighties and disappeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so we're going to now move on um, to the ones that you picked out, Dan. Actually, I'll, I'll let you pick out some of the ones from the uh, the later periods. So yeah, uh, what should we start with the foreign league ones first? Yes, what we've done is I've I've picked. Uh, I'm just counting up here. I think there's 19 of them, and we've split them into four sections. We've got the foreign legion, the on loan youngsters who actually made a career in the game uh the why did we even bother youngsters and then just uh, the, to finish off we'll have a sort of a little random selection of uh not bizarre but just they played one game for us and then various different things happened for various reasons but anyway let's get on the the foreign legion so first first up- Go on, you, you do, Dan. It's, it's your, your go on, list, so go on. It's, This is a good one, this. Uh, we're going to go back to 2016. He will have been a Keith Curl signing. And the fantastic flying Angolan-born Dutch winger, Luis Pedro. Yeah, he he was an interesting one, wasn't he? There was a bit of excitement when he signed, because he, by all accounts, did quite well in training and uh, in a reserve game, I think. And I remember his debut, and... It was genuinely like it was. It was almost comical, really, the way he was playing it. I mean, the, the defenses didn't know, know what to do. He was like a like a lad was on his PlayStation controller, wasn't he? Just pressing all yeah, the buttons yeah, to his he, skill. He was like one of these uh, freestyle footballers, wasn't he? You know, yeah. he sort of came on, flicked it about, rolled it about, but didn't actually do anything with it. And the first couple of times you see it, you get a bit excited and think, "Oh, this lad could have something about him," but. No, he just never did he. No, he was uh, an, in, an interesting one. Um, you've done a bit of research, haven't you, on uh, what he's been up to and where he has been from, actually? Yeah, well, he, he actually started in the youth systems at uh, Maastricht and then Feyenoord. And uh, he moved on to Excelsior, Go Ahead Eagles and Heracles. So he's done a little bit of a tour of the Dutch yeah. leagues. And then uh, he's one of these players who ended up on like the Eastern European circuit. Uh, he had a season apiece in Bulgaria at Botev Plovdiv and Levski Sofia. Then he ended up at Targu Mares in Romania before landing on his trial here. And um, he made his debut in the 3-2 Easter Monday win over Bristol Rovers. Uh, he didn't feature again as rumours about training just he just he had all the gear no idea basically yeah. <laughs> and, all, all, uh, the, all the skills but he just didn't have a brain on yeah. him kinds of things, yeah and he, he disappeared in the summer and he went back to holland 
and he actually did quite well at uh, Maastricht where he began his career and then Volendam before sort of dropping into the Dutch non-league and he still plays today but not at any sort of decent level. Yeah, it's an interesting, wasn't it? I mean, maybe he's one of those players who actually is technically very good and fits into like a Dutch way of playing, but just doesn't work in England. Yeah, I, I think from the the brief glimpse we got of him, he, he obviously had the skills that you sort of associate with Dutch players, but uh, I don't think the 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 umph and grumph of League Two football was for him. <coughs> Certainly not. Um, next up, Marco Gabarsin. Um, interesting one actually because I, I got to see him because I was working at the club at the time in the media team and uh, I got to see him in training and actually he didn't look too bad when I saw him playing actually yeah it was uh, 2011 he came in he was he, he was he had quite good stock he was French born uh, he was a youth player at Bordeaux then he went to Grenoble then he moved over to a lot of French players moved to Belgium and uh, looking through the teams he was at SK Lumbeck Verton and the best spell of his career was three years at Royal Antwerp, which is uh, a decent stuff, yeah, it? yeah. And then he got a he got a transfer lined up with Bologna in Italy, but Antwerp wouldn't let him move. So when his contract did run out, he moved to Bologna, but then they got taken over a week later, and the new owners cancelled the contracts of every player. <laughs> typical Italian that isn't it really? well it's yeah not, no, no change there so he was a free agent went to Denmark and then sort of landed here in December 2010 and as you say apparently by all accounts impressed in training signed his initial month deal made his debut off the bench in that 1-0 defeat at Torquay in the cup and then he signed a deal to the end of the season and fair enough for whatever reason he didn't really feature and then all of a sudden he ended up at Walsall on loan where it was seemingly he played all right from uh, reading a few mm. newspaper reports. Yeah. Uh, but then we released him. While he was a free agent, he then made his international debut for the Central African Republic. Stuff. <laughs> and then he returned to Belgium with uh, a few lower division clubs before disappearing off the radar. Yeah, then he just wanted... To... You think back to the team we had back then, Thurwell, Noble, Berrett, Tywo. It's not going to be easy when you've got solid performers you know can perform week in, week out. Yeah, especially yeah, at uh, um, League One level as well, wasn't it? Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. But my my memory of him actually seeing him training down at Morecambe, funny enough, because it was a time when I think that the winter was quite bad that year, and uh, we actually did some training on the pitch behind Morecambe's ground. That's right, yeah. We didn't have any. Yeah. One of those things, isn't it? We 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 go on about a lot, don't we? That it's a pretty bit of a disgrace that as a club we don't have facilities like the like it's more can we've even got. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, anyway. Okay, and up next we've got Miguel Cominguez, aka Bambi on Ice. Wow, what a what a player <laughs> this was. Yeah. <laughs> he was a Guadeloupe national. I'm pretty sure he's the only Guadeloupian to play for Carlisle off the top of my head. Uh, he moved to France as a teenager, uh, Amy Enns, Stad Reims, uh, before landing up at Swindon on a trial where he did quite well and then moved to Cardiff for three seasons. Uh, during that last season at Cardiff, uh, the 10-11 season, he didn't really feature for them. 
And Greg Abbott offered him a loan deal, I think, with a view to moving in the January if it was any good. Unfortunately, it just wasn't any good at all. Uh, it came on in the FA Cup game at home to Tamworth, wasn't it? Yeah. Where we were absolutely dreadful in the first half. Uh, we were one nil down. Very lucky. Yeah, we were one nil down, and he was actually subbed at half time for another poor player, uh, Tom Cruise from <laughs> Arsenal, yeah. who certainly wasn't a top gun. Got to get the pun in. <laughs> but uh, we, we managed to turn that game round and won it. But uh, we then had uh, a run of postponements due to bad weather during the December, and he didn't play any games for us. And uh, on his return to Cardiff, he was told he was free to move. I think he went to South End for the rest of that season before going to MLS with Colorado Rapids uh, and then landing back up at Stevenage and then another one who just simply disappears. Yeah, I think that season at Cardiff when we got him on loan, I think he'd had a bad knee injury. Or he'd certainly had a bad injury at some point. And I think he was basically working his way back to fitness when we signed him on loan. And I think that was half the problem. Yeah, he just can't. was nowhere near fit enough to be playing. And at the time, I think we had issues with left-backs in where Matty Robson was having to fill in there. And a lot of fans obviously didn't particularly rate Robson at left-back. But actually, I think looking back, he did all right there. And We've, we've had plenty worse <laughs> yeah. than Matty Robson play left-back. Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. And I think Kamingas was brought in, in the, with the idea of he did really well at Swindon. He can perform at this level. And it just never worked out at all. No, not at all. No, no. Right, uh, I'm just looking on the list and we're going back to the 90s now yes. for a, a, a couple. This, this two is of them. the cracker, this one. The, 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 the first one up is uh, the Phantom Peer, we will call him. <laughs> Jean-Claude Pagal in 1998 and uh, known as the Phantom Peer for an incident, shall we call it, during his one and only game. Uh, a little bit of background for those who don't know. Uh, Pagal was an ex-Cameroon international, played in the 1990 campaign. Uh, played in England, did he? Yes, he did. He yeah. did, yeah. Uh, the classic African player route, played a lot of his football in France. Uh, yeah, I think he had several years at Lens, three years at Saint-Étienne. And uh, he had a year at Martigues where a certain Stefan Punovacci was his teammate which is likely the link that saw him end up here i would you'd, have thought. you'd imagine they're probably sharing agent wouldn't they you'd have thought yeah and um, before, before he came here he actually ended up in mexico with club america then in belgium for a little bit before landing here in uh, february 98 and he, he made his debut in a one nil defeat at gillingham which was just a bog standard defeat at the yeah. time you know but <laughs> Apparently halfway through, I think it was the first half, he went over, curled up as though he was injured. Obviously, a couple of the players ran past checking he was all right. And when they looked, he was relieving himself <laughs> on the pitch. And uh, Physio Dolly came on and I think he was just amazed at what he saw and pretended to treat his injury, poured some water on the affected area and... Up he jumps and got on with it, and uh, I think he was subbed around the the hour mark, and he he was on the bench a couple of times afterwards, and then 
disappeared from Brunton Park. He, uh, he actually went to China and Malta and then made a comeback in the Cameroon League in his mid-40s. And uh, seemingly he's, he's been a bit of a general manager and some youth football scheme involvement and was actually director of a London-based sport agency a few years back. Although I, do, uh, I know when John Coleman did an article on him the other year, by all accounts, he's now happily retired and chilling out in Cameroon. Not bad. Not bad life, yeah. you can have it. <laughs> yes, and uh, the second one, uh, the infamous Laurent Crockey. This one, before you start, would you argue this is probably the one who's been the most successful in the game, but played just one game for us? When I read what I'm about to read, you would have to say yes, because yeah. he was a French sort of defender come midfielder in his early 30s. He had 10 years at Sochaux, over 300 games for them. And then he had another four years with Bordeaux, where he had another 150 games, including... Now, this is the one. Not many Carlisle players have done this. He played in the 1996 UEFA Cup final against Bayern Munich. And his teammates included Zinedine Zidane, Bixente Lizarazu, Christophe Dugarry, and the Dutchman Richard Richka which is not a bad team to be involved in, eh? Yeah, it's not bad that. You'd think you'd be looking forward to playing with Tony Cage, Will Varty and uh, Alan Smart after that, sure. Well, you would hope so, wouldn't you? And, and I think after that summer, he, he was released. He appeared at Dundee for a trial and a game, and then he, he reappeared a year later here. And the game he played in was, we played Preston North End live yeah, on Sky. On Sky, yeah, I remember that. I think it was a Friday night from memory, and it wasn't long after David Reeves had went there in a transfer. I think Reeves scored the goal, actually, from memory. But uh, he, he seemingly disappeared after that game. But the tale that came out a few years later, seemingly he'd went up to each player individually and sort of said, oh, I can't use my cash card here. Can I borrow some money till I get sorted? And each player said, yeah, no bother. It's 40 quid, 50 quid or whatever. But apparently he did it to the entire squad. So landed <laughs> himself a couple of grand or so. And then... He did a runner. Well, I, don't, I wouldn't say he did a runner, but his, <laughs> his trial finished and off he went. And <laughs> the players said goodbye to the money. But uh, he, he actually is also one of those who's done quite well out of the game. Well, not out of the game, but out of the playing side. Because he, he moved into... French non-league management with a few teams before becoming assistant at a team called Croix de Savoie, who were probably better known as Evian for a couple of years oh. due to the sponsorship of the water company. And then he was manager of Mulhouse for two or three years before again sort of disappearing into the footballing wilderness. Oh, wow. Quite interesting one, that one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's the, the foreign lesion, as we'll put it, uh, out of the way. There was a few of us on there that we could have talked about, but, but we might have moved them into other categories as well. Yeah, we, we, there was one one or two who sort of stretched through two, two and three categories, but uh, they yeah. were certainly the ones that stood out from the uh, the foreign the foreigners who've yeah. appeared at Carlisle. Okay, uh, I think we'll just take a quick break now, um, and we'll come back uh, in a short while. Uh, we'll be talking about the unknown youngsters who have made a career in the game since leaving. 
Yeah, and a couple of these, after their appearances at Carlisle, it's probably a surprise to most Carlisle fans that they actually did make a career because they were that <laughs> bloody is. bad for them. I know, exactly. It's baffling. <laughs> but, yes. Yeah. Right, back in a minute. Forward by Waddle twice in that attack. Warhurst closing it here. Oh, good touch! Brilliant! Warhurst is there again! Well, it's number 17 for Warhurst. And the sign of a good striker, a converted one maybe, but when you miss a chance, don't let it get to you. And here, Waddle plays the first ball through. Okay, everyone, we're back. Rising from the ashes like David Hughes after his uh, disastrous one performance for us. Um, maybe mention him a little bit later on. So, Dan, the on-loan youngsters who made a career in the game, who have you got here? Right, first up, we're going to 2012. Well, there's actually two in 2012. The first one is Sean McGinty. who yeah. uh, He went to Man United as 16-year-old, product of the Charlton Academy. And he progressed to a professional contract at Man United, had a couple of loans at Morecambe and Oxford before landing here on loan in November 2012. He didn't make his debut until Boxing Day, however, coming on as an 89th minute (laughs) sub for Chris Chandler. So this is possibly the shortest appearance in the one game list I would say I'm pretty sure it is we yeah. don't have details of the earlier subs but from the ones I know I'm fairly certain this is the shortest yeah he's well we, we can't even talk about his performance you know it was uh, <laughs> one one minute so. but uh, seemingly I don't think he was the best trainer and he had further loan spells at Tranmere before joining Chef United on a permanent deal and he was one of those who, when he moved, he sort of admitted to making a few mistakes in his career. Yeah, I, from what I gather, we signed him on loan as a favour to Man United. I think because yeah, they were giving yeah. us some decent players, like the likes of Ben Amos and Tom Lawrence. I think the way he'd behaved, I think he might have been a bit of in trouble with the law, possibly, at some point. Not 100% on that, so I've got to be very careful. Um, but, but yeah, I think basically... Man United reserved him. Set of people said, "Look, will you just take him? We want him to learn." Yeah, you know, see, see what tough... football's really about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously, he'd had his loan spells before elsewhere, but I think they wanted him, to, you know, to try and. It sounds terrible that they're sending him to Carlisle to teach him a lesson, but that's essentially what they were trying to do. And by all accounts, he didn't particularly learn it. <laughs> no, first. no. I mean, when, I know when he went to Sheffield United, he didn't really do much there. Uh, he had more loans to Northampton and Rochdale, which I think became a permanent. And then he sort of had another couple of loans to Halifax and Aldershot, where again where he moved permanently. And I think his his, his time at Aldershot, he, he must have grown up a little bit because he went to Torquay for a season and then he, he, he ended up at Partick, which was a bit of a random transfer, Torquay to Partick. And I think in January this year, he moved on to Greenock Morton for for the rest of the season. So he's he's one of those who he's sort of carved a bit of a career for himself. Well, he's, he's certainly got the miles in, hasn't he? <laughs> he's <laughs> been up, up and down, down hasn't he? Yeah, it's a yeah. nice one, isn't it? But yeah, he's an interesting one. Interestingly as well, I'm pretty sure the game that he was a one-game wonder in, Josh Todd was also a one-game wonder in that game as well, actually. Right. If I'm right, I think they both 
appear in the same game. Two eight. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway, so so Sean McGinty, yeah, he's uh, not the not the greatest career, but he certainly made a living from the game. The other one in 2012 is Michael O'Halloran, a Glaswegian lad who's on Celtic's books as a kid before joining Bolton. Uh, he had a short loan spell at Sheffield United. Then he signed on a one-month loan for us in August 2012, which was mutually terminated 12 days later. And his only appearance was a 20-minute sub-appearance in a 2-0 defeat at Milton Keynes. Uh, which I think he was one of those who, once he came here, he just was like, do I really want to do this? Yeah, I, there was suggestions, wasn't there, I seem to remember at the time, that he had a particularly bad attitude in training. Yeah, and yeah. And the, the rest of the squad didn't take well to that, from what I can gather. I, I think he was one of these who maybe thought he was a bit above our level. Yeah. When at the time, he actually he wasn't, you know. And yeah. He... Uh, he had another loan at Tranmere in the same season. Did a little bit better, but uh, he moved back up to Scotland in 2014 to St Johnston, where he, he had a real purple patch, which resulted in a move to Glasgow Rangers in February. Because he was started out at Celtic, isn't he? Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. First, first of February, which must have been the last day of the window, he, uh, he signed for Rangers and... It never really happened for him at Rangers, and he went back to St Johnston uh, on loan. Then he moved to Melbourne City randomly, but it didn't last long, and he returned to St Johnston, where he remains to this day. Yeah, he's interesting. He seems to have done fairly well for himself since he's left us, actually. But clearly there was a problem with attitude when he was here. So... um, but yeah, that... I, Again, he's probably one of these young lads from a, a bigger club who's some the pennies dropped finally, you know. Uh, next up, we have Ashley Eastham, uh, twenty ten. He was a product of Blackpool's youth system, loaned out several times. Obviously, at the time, Blackpool was sort of Championship and even Premier League for a little bit. Uh, he had spells at Hyde and Cheltenham, and came to Brunton Park in November twenty ten. And he made his only appearance in the same game as Miguel Cominges, the three yeah, two win over Tamworth. Uh again, as we we said earlier, we were terrible that game and really got away with it. He obviously didn't really impress. He uh, went back to the seaside, uh further loans, Betty a couple of times, Fleetwood and Not County, before making a permanent move to Rochdale. Uh three years there. Fleetwood in 2016 uh, before he moved to Salford City in January this year but he, I don't think he really played obviously with uh, the curtailment of the season but he's he's one of those who's had a sort of solid if unspectacular career you know? he's made a lower league career for himself hasn't he he's yeah, one I, yeah. I, to be honest I struggle to remember much of what he did I don't think he played that badly maybe that day but then again having Kamingas alongside him maybe made him a bit more nervous than he needed to be yeah, I think I think we'd have fancied our chances playing in defence beside Miguel Cominges, wouldn't we? Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next, next up is probably the player in, in this category, certainly who's definitely had the best career. Uh, I think by, he's the one by, who's, who's gone on to the, have the best career after he's left us and having played yeah, one game, probably. Yeah, de- definitely. Yeah. Uh, the player we're talking about is uh, Corey Evans, uh, 
Belfast born, moved to Man United when his older brother Johnny went. Uh, Corny then joined the youth setup himself, usual through the, the into the reserves. And he was on the fringes of the squad when he came to Carlisle. I think the move was designed to get him some uh, proper football into him, shall we say. And um, at the time, the, the previously mentioned link between Warren Joyce and Greg Abbott was in full swing. And uh, Evans started in a 1-1 draw away to Bristol Rovers in uh, October 2010. And unfortunately, he took ill afterwards. I remember that. Yeah. Missed missed a couple of games, and then I think he uh, he had some sort of hamstring problem. I think it was, and it basically curtailed his loan because we we needed players who were playing, and he went back to Man United. Uh, I think he went back to Hull on loan before making the move permanent in the following summer. Uh, he had a couple of decent seasons at Hull before moving to Blackburn in 2013, and he's he's still at Blackburn now. He's, he's a captain, uh, I think, isn't he? Yeah, he's uh, he's made 200 appearances, as well as 50 international appearances for Northern Ireland, including three appearances in their Euro 2016 campaign. So, I would definitely say he's the one game wonder who's probably gone on to have the most successful career in football. Yeah, since he's left us at least anyway, obviously. Yeah. We potentially look at uh, the um, the man with the broken uh, bank card as being the one who's um, had the best career before. He yeah, to at least yeah, anyway. yeah. And last in this one is a name that sh- sends a bit of a shudder down Carlisle fans' spine when he's mentioned. Harry Worley. Uh, he was one of these players at Chelsea when the stockpiling began, I think he started at Stockport. He was signed for Chelsea after a good battle for his signature. And I think he had a short loan at Doncaster before he came to us at the the start of the 2007 yeah. season. Well, the fans were very excited about him signing, weren't they? I seem to yeah, I mean, he was one of these uh, who, who had a bit of a reputation, you know. He's signed from Stockport for good money. He must, must have something about him and... He made his debut in a, a game against Cheltenham and was absolutely terrible. He looked like a rabbit in the headlights. Mm. Uh, he, I think he lasted 45 minutes before Paul Arneson came off the bench for him and it, it was just it was that bad. That yeah, I, think we, I think we had to shift David Raymond to centre-back, didn't we, to cover yeah, that yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he, he obviously he didn't really last his loan. He went back to London. Uh, and he, he moved to Leicester on loan and then made a permanent move. And then he had typical young player, loan spells at Luton and Crew. Then he joined Oxford for three seasons, which, you know, was probably the best spell of career. He had a move to Newport, had a year at Stevenage. And then he had a, a bad injury while at Stevenage. And uh, I think he had spells at Hartlepool and Salford before having to retire in 2016. So he's, he actually carved a, a semi-decent lower league career, but on on the basis of his 45-minute cameo at Brunton Park, it, you know, you would have, you'd have done well to see him play at Melbourne Park, I would have said. <laughs> yeah. I, isn't he one as well who's 
maybe doing some sort of scouting as well now. I think maybe for Chelsea, I seem to remember reading. Yeah, that. I think he's uh, there's a lot of uh, players do now with uh, the big clubs having such big operations. He's, I think, he's the northwest scout for Chelsea. Hmm. So he probably spends his time watching under twenty three football, etc. Yeah, I'm just looking back there, thinking making your debut against Cheltenham is always going to be tough because they're always been a big physical side. So I can't imagine that would have been much fun for him. I, I'm not sure if um, Kaidi Odejayi was still playing for Cheltenham back then, but I always remember him being a an absolute nightmare for him. Yeah, it was, it was probably the usual aerial bombardment of Cheltenham mm. teams of the time. Yep, definitely. Okay, so I think that's covered off those ones. The only other one I'd probably um, mention in there maybe would be David Hughes. He's one a little bit further back. I think he was um, 1998, possibly. Let me get my spreadsheet on, double check on that one. I've got the, I'll put this spreadsheet up actually on Twitter or something. Everyone can have a look at it and see exactly who's listed. Where is he at? David Hughes. David Hughes. There he is, 97-98. He was a loan signing for Aston Villa, wasn't he? And he was somebody who a lot was thought of, actually, wasn't there? And I think very similar to to Wally, he had an absolute nightmare of a debut, I seem to remember, and ended up getting hauled off. And we thought, oh, you'll never see him again. He's, you know, he's one who's going to disappear into the obscurity. My my only memory of him was, was it really tall? I think he was quite a tall lad, yeah. He was a tall, yeah. quite well-built lad there, I think. Yeah, yeah six six three, six four type level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he disapp- we thought he'd disappear, but he actually turned up at Shrewsbury Town a few years later playing against mm. us. And yeah. he, he was excellent for them. He <laughs> was bizarre. And we were all like, how on earth has he become such a good player? And he got a big move to Cardiff, I think, about half a million. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't quite work out. I think he got a, a career-ending injury, actually, at one point. And yeah, yeah. he had to curtail his career. So mm. that's the only one I would have mentioned in that one. Um up on next, uh, I think it's this is part three, isn't it? So we've got the Why Did We Even Bother Youngsters. Some uh, absolutely belting names in here as well, isn't there? Yeah, and the, the the first one in the list is I was stood in the car park talking to some friends when uh, the team was announced at 6.45 and Keith Curl unveiled two new signings. Keith Curl special. Who nobody had heard of. Uh, there was... The one we're talking about, James Hooper, and a young lad called Joe Ward. Starting with Hooper, he was uh, a young striker. He'd been at Rochdale, and he's, he, Keith was obviously just trying to mix it up a bit. Uh, he we, had a, we were playing Luton, who were up with us going for sort of promotion, and you can see their squad. And we signed these two lads, and you think to yourself... <laughs> And this was around the time when there was that big campaign to raise money, wasn't there, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the best we could manage. And yeah, and this the the young lad Hooper, he came on, I think he only had maybe 10 minutes as a, a replacement for Sean Miller, who'd obviously ran himself into the ground like he did. And he, he was released at the end of the season, and he just, he, he went on a tour of non-league clubs in the North-West. Uh, and looking at my list, I've got FC United, Radcliffe Borough, Salford before the money and Charlie before dropping f- even further to the likes of Altrinham and Witten Albion. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, that, is, that is a low level, that is. yeah. I mean, fair play is still playing, which, uh, in comparison to the other lad who never actually made an appearance, uh, Joe Ward, he got that fed up with the game, he actually quit it after leaving us. Uh, yeah. I don't think he was actually even after he left us, was it? I think he, when he was still signed to us, he just didn't he just say it to Curl or someone like, 
I'm just not interested anymore. I'm just going to quit. Yeah, basically, yeah. He's just sort of, I, I haven't got the fight for it anymore. It, it's interesting. Like, so it does happen with some players. Because I remember that yeah. young that young lad um, in Paul Simpson's first season in charge, David Molloy. Yes. He looked a real good prospect coming from the youth team. And he, he played about a dozen games. But then it just disappeared. And it turned out, he basically told the club, I don't want to play anymore. And they were like, well, We've got you contracted, <laughs> and he was like, "He was like, oh, it's fine. Just keep all of my registration on." And I think he went to work as a plumber or something like that. Yeah, just, yeah. Nothing. It does happen. Yeah, yeah. It, it's easy for us to say it's a dream to play professional football, but until you're actually in that bubble and see what it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a completely different world. Yeah, but that was a, a strange night when those mm. two were named. Um, yeah. Next up, we have a player who actually played against Carlisle last season. Uh, Jeffrey Monacana. Yes. Uh, landed on loan from Brighton in March 2015. He'd uh, he actually started at Arsenal as a youth. He was at Preston for a couple of years, and then he moved to Brighton's development squad, as they call them. And he was he was loaned out to quite a random bunch of teams: Crawley, Aberdeen, Mansfield. Before I think we signed him, just as the loan window was about to close. And he just didn't really do much. He he made his one appearance, starting in a two-one defeat away at Oxford, replaced on the hour by Asamoah, and then just didn't feature again. Uh, he went back to Brighton before going to Bristol Rovers on loan, and then he randomly, when he was released by Brighton in early twenty sixteen, he ended up with FC Voluntari in Romania, which is. From Brighton under-23s to the uh, Romanian leagues, a strange move. Yes, a strange one, that. But he uh, returned to England, and then he's sort of he's been on the the southern non-league roundabout that a lot of these players down south end up on. And uh, as, I, as I mentioned, he played against us for Dulwich Hamlet in the televised FA Cup game. Yeah, one of only two players, I think, to have played for both clubs. The other one being? Jimmy Glass. Indeed, correct. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, another who just, you know, he's, I know some non-league players down south can make a half-decent living from the game, yeah. but he was one of those that, just why did we bother with him, you know? Yeah. But but this next one, though, in fact, these next two, 100% are on the why on earth did we bother list. It Just pointless signings. Pointless. Oh, they, they were dreadful. I mean, both sort of came with a view to making permanent moves, <laughs> didn't they? You know, because yeah. they, were, they were at their, their, rel- their, their clubs, clubs yeah. And they weren't that level, but certainly good enough to possibly play at our level. Uh, the two we're talking about are Lucas Dawson in uh, March 2014 and Craig Rodden from Liverpool in late 2013. So both actually in the same season. Yeah. But uh, Dawson, he played an hour in a 4-1 defeat at Peterborough. And I was convinced that he'd never played for us. I was convinced until I looked the list up that he'd sign on low, but we never actually used him. I didn't even yeah, realise he played yeah. again. Well, that shows how memorable his appearance was, yeah, doesn't it? Exactly. And he, he, was, he was released by Stoke at the end of that season. I think he went to Nuneaton for a couple of games. And then he's been at Telford and Chester City. The last I could find of him was a trial at Crewe about 18 months ago. And 
not nothing ever since. One of the uh, million players that Graham Kavanagh signed that season. Yeah, the the loan the loan figures that season were ridiculous, weren't yeah. they? We'll do an episode uh, on loan signings at some point. And that, yeah, that season will feature heavily. <laughs> Brodden was uh, a passing midfielder with a decent reputation. You know, he'd, apparently he'd been good through all the age groups at Anfield, but he just he just didn't quite kick on when he he became pro and he got a, a twenty minute or so run out as a sub in a 4-1 win over Tranmere. But he just looked... I, I remember this game. He just looked so off the pace. It was, you know, it was like, this lad. I didn't I didn't go to that game because I think I was living down in London at the time. But I, I remember that game obviously that Tom Lawrence had a blinder. So if he managed to stand out as poor in a game where Tom Lawrence is running yeah, the game, yeah, yeah. tells you a lot probably. But no, he, uh, he he looked off the pace and he had a further loan at Accrington uh, before being released. He then actually signed for Accrington, but halfway through the following season with him, he, he went to Witten Albion, which, uh, you know, it's 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 not a great level. It's about Carlisle City level, isn't it? Yeah, he, yeah. He, he randomly ended up moving to the League of Ireland with uh, Sligo Rovers, and he actually had a couple of years there, so he must have done all right there. But uh, he's, the sort of trail goes cold, and he was last seen playing for Mosley in the Northern Premier League Division One North West early last season. And, you know, it makes you wonder, these lads, they're not likes of Stoke and Liverpool. And five years later, they're, they're nowhere, you know. it's You, you almost wonder if these clubs stockpiling these players is it really worth it in the end I mean for the clubs it probably is because one of them will come off and make them money and yeah, the other ones are just basically cannon fodder they're just you know collateral really isn't it I, I, know, I know we've mentioned Chelsea when uh, we talked about Harry Worley but uh, yeah. Chelsea make about 30-40 million a season selling those that don't make it because yeah. they're still decent players and they go to decent clubs in Europe and it actually selling half a dozen of them maybe pays for one big signing coming in, you know. But uh, we've got one left on this list, and he's probably the only Albanian player we've had. Uh, we will do actually, United Nations of Cal United at some point. Yeah, right? that'll he, be one worth doing. He, he was actually a Swiss national, but he uh, he was of Albanian heritage, and I think he played under 19 or under 21 it was a, a lad called Valentin Gjokaj and he came on loan from Derby in late yes, 2012 and uh, he, he had a decent career it started off early he he was at FC Lucerne where he was born yeah played for the second team obviously a lot of European leagues have second teams at a decent yeah. level and uh he was released in summer 2012 and he actually had a trial at Newcastle United but uh, he didn't get taken on and I think he went to Derby who liked the look of him so he went into their development squad and then he came here on loan to get some football into him. His only appearance was from the bench at half time uh, in an FA Cup game against Bournemouth. He came on for Frank Simek, we were 2-0 down at half time and from memory, Gjokaj was more a central defender, so I'm wondering if 
we changed formation to chase the game. I think he played it right back, you know. I think he just filled it. I think Simic might have had a knock and he just filled Possibly, memory, possibly, yeah. yeah. But we, we got beat 3-1 in the game and he just he never played again. And he returned to Derby. He actually had a, a loan at Barnet and then he signed for a year at Gateshead. And uh, after that, he he sort of disappears a bit and then... I think he landed a German Oberliga team, SSV Reutlingen, in 2016. And then he literally vanishes, you know, which, again, it's, I know he's not uh, I know he's not in, in the UK football scene, but mm. it obviously happens, it shows it happens abroad as well, doesn't it? I'm just looking up that SS uh, Reutlingen just to see where they are. It's just, just a little bit south of Stuttgart. Uh, and looking at their pitch, it is a 3G pitch. It looks like it's based behind another team's ground. It's a bit of a weird setup. So, possibly, possibly. Yeah, but yeah well, it's yes. a very low level. That to be fair, I've been to watch watch a game at Oberliga level in Germany, and the standard is about Carlisle City level at times. Yeah, yeah, but uh, no, that's the uh, the why did we even bother category. <laughs> okay, well, ne- next one is the random section. These are just a few random odd ones. Um, a couple of them just very unusual sort of signings in terms of people and where they've been. One of them was a a big star before he came to us and clearly just couldn't be asked. <laughs> yeah, and one of them was just one of the one of the worst games you could possibly imagine. So let, yeah. let's get them started then. Go on, first one. We'll go with uh, the big name first, which was Paul Warhurst, yeah. uh, February 2004, 34-year-old. <laughs> Yeah, everyone, bloody hell, Paul Warhurst signing yeah, for Carlisle. Yeah, you know, isn't it? Oldham, Sheffield, Blackburn, Crystal Palace, Bolton, solid defender, you know, he was just what we needed in our a battle. But uh, a quick look at that season showed he'd already played for Bolton, Chesterfield and Barnsley. And I think that should yeah, maybe have set off have the alarm us. bells, shouldn't <laughs> it? You know, he, he came off the bench away to Macclesfield for about 25 minutes. He had a yellow card. And then next thing he was saying it was too far to travel for training. So he obviously just didn't have the stomach for a fight and decided it wasn't worth a hassle. He actually actually played for three more seasons because Mm. he went to Grimsby after us. Five clubs in one season. And then he went went to Blackpool, Forest Green, Wrexham and Barnet. But... I think across those seven or eight clubs was a total of 60 appearances, which, again, tells its own story, you know. And yeah, I think he actually played a couple of games for Northwich before retiring, but yeah. it, it was just it just didn't happen. Very similar to Clive Allen, actually. Yeah. Well, the interesting one with him, I always thought, was the fact that he said um, it was too far him to travel. Um, he ended up signing for Grimsby. And he lived in the south of Manchester, I think, at the time. And someone worked out he was pretty much just as far to get to uh, Grimsby as it was to get to um, Carlisle from there. And the fact that you've got to go over the M62, which anyone who's ever driven over the M60 would tell you, is just awful at rush hour. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not. I, I think I agree with you. I think he just didn't fancy the fight as much. Basically, as basically, yeah. yeah. Um, next, next up, it, oh, I can't even say this game. It was so bad. Barry Thompson, I'll say it. Go on. Barry Thompson at Ilkeston Town in the FA Cup. Good God, what a game. I, every time <laughs> I, I didn't go to that, but I remember listening on the radio and how painful it was to listen to. You lucky bugger. <laughs> you lucky bugger. 
we we actually took the lead that day through Paul Haddies. But mm. uh, this was a season where we had about seven keepers for various reasons, and I can't remember. We had a couple of injuries, and nobody actually knew who was going to play goal for us. When the, the team I think came we had, out, I think we had seven keepers on the books over that season. So yeah, yeah, and when the team was announced, number one for Carlisle, Barry Thompson, and everyone's going Barry who? <laughs> because this was before you sort of Google and Wikipedia, which would be your first port of call these days. Yeah, it turns out, uh, having done a bit of reading into him, he'd actually played that year, the summer season in Iceland for the team with a bit of coaching. And he'd literally, I think he'd flown back into Scotland two or three days before. And obviously we'd put an SOS out and his agent was like, Barry Thompson, he's played in Iceland, he'll do for you. So he came, he turned up, he played very badly and then disappeared. But the funny thing is, he was actually still playing two or three years ago. He, uh, Highland League, wasn't it? Somewhere? Yeah, he was actually at Dundee to begin and he was, I think he was sort of their reserve keeper. And apparently he has the most consecutive bench appearances without playing a game for them <laughs> at 55 games. And he's, he Just was as well a, for them, really, isn't it? Yeah. He, he was a nomad. He went to Montrose, Forfar, East Stirling. And like I say, the, the team he played for in Iceland were actually called FC4, as in the uh, Marvel superhero. <laughs> Superb. But uh, apparently he went to Breek in Ross County and Montrose afterwards. Uh, I've, I've seen his name at Peterhead, Cove Rangers, Coulter. I think he's one of these who's played for about 35 <laughs> Scottish junior teams and Highland teams. Superb. And he was still coaching up until a couple yeah. of years ago. Well, th- didn't he concede a goal straight from a corner in that game against Ilkeston? I seem to remember. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. obviously playing for Ilkeston that day was Tony Hemmings. Yes, who we uh, later signed. Yeah, he had a blinder, I think, for them that day. Yeah, um, yeah. But I was just while you were talking there, Dan, I worked out how many keepers we had that season. We had eight goalkeepers on the books at some point, possibly nine. There might have been a youth keeper who was used on the bench at some point. I'm not hundred yeah, percent sure. Yeah. But we had Luke Weaver, Peter Keane, Paul Heritage, who never played a game for us, um, but was on the books for about three years, I think. Yeah. Uh, Michael Ingham, who was on loan from Sunderland, Peter Van der Quack, on loan from Reading. Yeah. Andy Dibble played two games for us. He was close to being uh, a player who only played one game, but he played two. Um, Barry Thompson, obviously. And there was the Norwegian fella whose name I can't remember off the top of my head now, but me and you have chatted with John Coleman about him, haven't we? Yeah, um, or what? I can't remember his name, but he, he actually got injured running for his flight. Yeah, to, to catch Manchester. his taxi, he pulled his hamstring, didn't he? Yeah, and he, he didn't get the flight. <laughs> Sadly, that because uh, that would have been our uh, only Norwegian thing to play for us. Yeah, well. yes, but I, I can't talk about him anymore. That's Barry no. Thompson. Right, there you go. Out the way. Let's do, just talk about the two unusual, the unusual career ones. Yeah, uh, first up, we've got. Well, they were both sort of the same season, I think, or the same year, nineteen ninety six. First up, we had Dylan Kerr. He was uh, he had red. He was at Reading for three decent seasons before he landed here. He'd been at Chef Wednesday. He'd been to South Africa for Arcadia Shepherds. He <laughs> went to Le- Leeds, Doncaster, Blackpool. And uh, he came to Carlisle. And he only had a 12-minute appearance from the bench in a 1-0 win over Darlington. But then he had a, 
a hamstring injury and he he was released due to this career threatening injury. He gets signed for Kilman a couple of weeks later and was there for about three, four years. <laughs> well he played against us in a uh, pre season game, I seem to yes, remember about yeah, that time. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, he had a few more clubs, uh, Kidderminster, Hamilton, Exeter, Morton, East Sterling, and then a few non-league games. But it's his after career that's of more interest because having uh, Googled him and made some notes, his coaching career, he's done FA stuff for in, in England and Scotland before several roles in coaching and management in South Africa, Vietnam and Tanzania. Which is quite a selection of countries. Yeah, it's quite, quite interesting. You do get the odd coaches, though, from this country, don't you? They just seem to love coaching in random countries abroad and just do little tours almost. I remember there was a fellow, wasn't there? Um, oh, Constantine, wasn't he? I think he was called. I can't remember. But maybe Leon Constantine, possibly? No, no, no. That, that was a striker. Stephen Constantine, I Stephen, think that's the one. I couldn't remember his name. But for years, I always wanted him to be our manager because he'd done so well abroad at these yeah, different clubs. Yeah. But I never got a chance in this country, did he? Yeah, the, I think I think there's a lot of book about him. There's certainly yes, been articles remember, about yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. But no, uh, the, the other one was uh, Danny Donerkey, who mm. uh, he came from Radcliffe Borough, made his one appearance from the bench in a one 0 against Stockport, which, if memory serves me, was actually on my birthday, uh, my 18th actually. And then it seemed to his career seemed to finish quickly as it began because all I could find was he went back to Radcliffe and then no mention of him. But I would say probably on his sign because of his dad who was on our coaching team at the time, being uh, Willie Donnelly. Willie, really, yeah, yeah. But it's it's his post sort of career. He's a he's a very well up physio at Everton. And he's apparently a leading expert in meditation and mindfulness. Oh. And he's, he's now actually back at Everton as a second spill after a good 10 years the first time. But in his side business, he's helped the likes of Liverpoolian boxer Tony Ballou, himself an Everton yeah. fan. Uh, tennis player Anna Ivanovic and her husband, who's ex-Germany captain Bastian Schweinsteiger. Yeah. And apparently he's harnessed their full potential. Yeah. Which, uh, as that's the last one on the list, I would say it's certainly different to the the old career of running a pub. It certainly is. That's a that's quite a quite a list you come up with there, Don. Uh, thank you very much for doing all the, no the research on them. Just before we finish up, I'm going to have a little look for the list here and pick up a few names. Just very quickly talk about some of these. But Charlie Birch is an interesting one. He's currently a one-game wonder. Hopefully he won't be. Hopefully that'll change very soon and you'll get a few games this season. Um, I mean, you go back through, you've got a lot of young lads who's also made one games. Like we mentioned yeah. Josh Todd, obviously. Yeah. Carl Taylor, who just disappeared after that one game on the final game of the season under Curl. Um, I don't think he even got a professional contract, Taylor, actually. No, really no interesting there's, one. there's a few like that. Yep. Um, let me have a look down through the list here. You've obviously got Dan Kirkup's one, obviously mentioned before. Ryan Hevicom, one of those uh, players that Roddy Collins signed when he signed loads at the start of the season, didn't he? I think he talked about him with the new Ryan Giggs at one point. Yeah. Which, uh, <laughs> didn't really help. The one no. I did did once mention, obviously, is uh, Scott Willis. Interesting one. He made his debut against Luton on the opening day of the 2001-2002 season. A 2-0 defeat. Uh, Roddy Collins' first game as manager. Uh, first, well, first, first, proper first team fixture um 
he signed a few players before that game to make sure we had a squad together because obviously they'd been decimated in the summer. Also making his debut that day, Peter Murphy. Both players were on one-month contracts. I think they were both offered extended deals to the end of the season. Murphy took his, Scott Willis didn't. He decided to try his luck at Lincoln. I think he did okay at Lincoln, but he disappeared out of, out of the game after that. Uh, I think it's fair to say Peter probably made the right choice out of the two of them there. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, okay, and, others, prob- you, and probably you couldn't get further from a one-game wonder, could you? Exactly, exactly. A record outfielder, appearance holder. Sean Fryers is an interesting one. He made an appearance uh, that same season as well. Um, I think he signed on uh, permanent non-contract terms. Uh, I can't remember the game. I think it might have been against Mansfield he played, but he almost got us a points deduction because... What was that for again? I remember he, that. Now he was only it. registered to play in a reserve team game. And I have a feeling right. that the person who confirmed whether players were available or not was on holiday that day and no one bothered to check whether he was available. I think that seems to remember I've read an article somewhere that said that. We only got a fine. I think we lost 2-0 anyway. I think we got a small fine instead because it was seen as an honest mistake. And it, it, Isn't that so typically Carlisle United? Very typical, very typical. Yeah. Uh, in that same season, you had Michael Dickinson as well, famously number 40 in that game away at Hartlepool. Um, because how cheap the club was back then, they didn't have enough letters left or couldn't afford to get the letters to put on the back of his shirt. So he just had number 40. And that was in the days when we did have squad numbers. Unbelievable. Um, another one I always like to give a mention to is Alan Gray, actually, funny enough, a local lad. He played one game in the 97-98 season underneath uh, under um, Wilson Halpin. Um, went on to have a very successful non-league career though didn't he I think he did really well at Workington and I think Penrith as well possibly he was yeah there did, did, did he play at Gretna or Queen of the South as well I think he was at Gretna and Queen of the South yeah, yeah. I think there was yeah. a lot of talk he might come back at one point but yeah, yeah. Uh, never quite worked out um, but yeah then you, so you go back down through the list there's a few more but the, the only one left that really stands out for me is Ian Knight and how terribly unlucky he was in his career. Yeah, very, uh, very. He was a player who a lot was thought of when he was at Sheffield Wednesday. I think he played for England at 21s and there was talk he was going to be like a £1 million defender and the next big name in the uh, game. Yeah, I mean, for, for for the younger listeners, £1 million back then, you're probably talking £10 million now. Yeah, well, bear in mind that, I think that's what pretty much what Man United paid for Eric Cantona at the same time. Yeah, um, yeah. He played for Sheffield Wednesday in a cup game, I mean, a league cup game against um, Chester City. And he suffered one of the most horrific leg breaks you could possibly imagine. I think his leg was broken in seven different places. Yeah, it was a yeah. ch- challenge by Gary Bennett. Not the Gary Bennett that played for us, the one who played for Chester and Wrexham. Um, and yeah, basically after that, he never fully co- recovered. Played on the opening day of the season for us in 92-93, I think against Walsall. And managed to break his leg again, I think, in the same game. It just desperately unlucky as a player. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't yeah. really ask for worse luck, could you? Yeah, I, I, I can remember him breaking it, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty pretty awful, that, really. Um, and that's it, really. A lot of the other names is much of a muchness, really. I think we've gone through the most interesting stories, particularly from recent times in the past. Um, really interesting to look back at, isn't it? it, it you don't see it as much at the moment, because I think because of the... Lack of short-term loans, you might see it less and less now, possibly, as the years go Yeah, on. yeah. And like you say, I think it'll mainly be your, your youth team hopefuls getting the odd game here and there. Well, the last few years, years. De- that definitely is the case. You could jack yeah, you get yeah. in there as well. So, so yeah. yeah. But yeah, thanks for the chat, Dan. Really enjoyed that. Really interesting no to bother. go back with the history books. What do you fancy next? We're going to look at kits with the new kit coming out soon? 
I would say we've we've got new kits and possibly one that came to mind when I was looking through all the paperwork. Uh, maybe a look at trialists with uh, yeah. hope, hopefully football starting to uh, move forward a gear in the coming weeks. Yeah, let's do that then. No problem. Cheers, Thanks once again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. Uh, went on a bit longer than before, it would actually, um, but I think it was really good. Uh, we've got some really interesting stories out there. Or in the case of uh, Barry Thompson Ilkerson, relive the nightmare in Dan, for Dan, uh, as he can remember that quite vividly, sadly. Um, but yeah, really, really good topic. Um, we'll be doing these specials throughout the summer. If you've got any suggestions for what you'd like to hear us talk about, please let us know. You can email us at bruntonbugle at gmail.com or get us on Twitter at bruntonbugle. Or you can ask me or Dan on the Be Just and Fear Not Facebook group. We're always on there having a chat about all things Cal United. The next episode we think is probably going to be a special about the history of Cal United kits. That's to obviously mark the fact that the new kit is coming out this week. Um, as well as that, me and Mike Booth are going to sit down. We're going to relive the 05-06 season. We're going to rewatch the match highlights DVDs and uh, just talk about the games and what happened during that season. So that should be a really interesting one. If you've got any memories of that season, please share them with us. We'd really love to talk about those on the show. Once again... You can find the podcast on all the good podcast apps. That's Acast, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify as well. Uh, you find it all those places. So please remember to subscribe and you'll get every episode automatically into your app and you won't have to go searching for it whenever it's published. You can find out more about the podcast at bruntonbugle.com and again, you can find us on Twitter. Thanks for listening and bye. Bye.